And as we look at this final way to end off, there's many different things that can be spoken up, and I begin to battle inside of my heart. But it was at the end of last night that the Lord began to really clarify in my mind the direction that we should go. And quite honestly, I would like to say that it's a happy message, you know? And some people are like, do you have any happy messages, Adrian, you know? And some respect. But I think it is something that we must be aware of and something I think we all know, but if we're not reminded and have a little memo that's put in front of our faces sometimes, we can easily forget something that is so incredibly obvious. I know I'm speaking cryptically, and since I am, let me clarify by giving an illustration as far as a question that I sometimes ask. You know, uh, my friends are preachers, you know, obviously, uh, Pastor Heath and different things. Now we are in Bible college, many of us are now spread across, well, in my case, the United States. And as we're spread all around, you know, a lot of my friends, and we sit down, and I love just take, going to lunch and shooting the breeze or whatever. And I am a question guy. I love questions. I love asking questions because I feel you get a real, you know, litmus test of where a person is, depending on how they answer different questions. So I remember I went to a pastor. I, I usually, I'm asking to every pastor. But, you know, if we're just, just chatting or whatever, and, and I ask this question as one I normally ask, I'll say, hey, preacher, won't you tell me this? You know, you know your Bible. And so tell me a Bible character and tell me who you would want to have a conversation with for about half an hour or so. Anybody except Jesus. Tell me somebody you would have a conversation with and why. Tell me who and why. I think it's just interesting, you know, you find out different things about it. I asked one pastor that, and he says, well, I would talk to Moses because he knows how to work with a bunch of knuckleheads. And I was like, wow, I really want to go to your church, you know. <laughs> That's the way that you feel, you know. And a lot of people had so many different answers. You know, um, if, and sometimes as I ask a question again and again, somebody turned the question around on me and asked me the question. I don't like giving flippant answers. And so I said, you know what, let me think about that. I really want to know, you know. And, you know, I know the characters, my favorite Bible characters, Abishai. I mean, back in the Old Testament, man, like David, he was always there at the right time. I love Abishai. And then you look at other Bible characters, you know, I love the minor prophets. A lot of people don't pay them any attention. I think they're wonderful, right? And so there's different characters. Peter, man, we got a lot in common, put my foot in my mouth a lot. And so I would have to talk to him. But I think if I tell you who I would speak to, I think it kind of gives us a presence of where we're going to go tonight. You know, if I could talk to any Bible character, resurrect anybody that we know of, I would go, as much as I love the Old Testament, as much as I love Abishai, and all this goes, I would actually skip over the Old Testament, and I would actually pick someone in the New Testament. I actually pick somebody who's not even saved. I would pick somebody that we really know his name. By half an hour. Just be with anybody in the Bible, I would have to spend it with the rich man in hell. You, you see, I think it would change the way I view people if I spoke with him. You know, a lot of times, here's what we got in Christianity today. We got a lot of cliches. We do, we do. We got code words, code words. Here's what I mean. Like, sometimes in Mrs. Conference we'll hear, and there's nothing wrong with these statements, but just hear me out, okay? Sometimes we like to use these words. Let me tell you, this community that you live in right now is lost. It's lost. Hey, do you know this world, this world out there, the world that you see out there, folks, they need Christ. They need Jesus. You know, I understand what you're saying. But sometimes they're code words. And sometimes I gotta say it like it is. This community is saying lost. It's going to a place called hell. The world is not just without Christ. 
they're going to a place that is called hell. I have family members that are not just lost their way. They're not just confused. They're going to a place called hell. Now listen, I don't want to think about it every morning when I have my coffee. And that's something I want to just mull through my mind every step that I go. But if we don't think about it, who will? Yeah, you look at this, and I'm going to go to the familiar passage. But I want to look at it in a different light. And here's what I want us to think about. I read through Luke 16, and I said, if I wanted to get one thing out of hell, what would it be? So that's the title. One thing I want from hell. Luke 16. Many of you know the passage, but let's turn there together. Luke 16. I know that when we read a familiar passage, it's very easy to check out. It's very easy just to be able to hear it and just know. Many many of you have even committed it into memory. But I just want us for just a moment, and even though it's hard to preach it, and I hear preachers who say to themselves, they love to preach on hell. My friend, maybe I'm just not where I'm supposed to be, and I'm being genuine when I say that, but I am not there. (laughs) I am not there. On the drive here, and I left the campground, I left my family, I kind of left even in a little bit of a somber mood because... My mind has to go there, you know. My mind has to be surrounded like that before I can convey something to you. I've got to be able to take a little bit of a field trip myself and be able to get to the point where that's what I'm thinking. That when I get in front of you and I am squeezed out and the Holy Spirit of God begins to show something to you, I've got to be there. And so, no, I don't enjoy it. No, there's not a part of me that just loves just preaching on hell. It's not me. But I'm saying it must be done. In Luke 16, verse 19, the only account that we read in the Bible, full account that we leave a person that goes to hell. And the Bible says this in verse, six, verse number 19. It says this, there was a certain rich man with his clothes in purple and fine linen and fair sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. More of the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he left up his eyes, being in torments. And see, Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, and he dipped the tip of his finger in water, and, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in my lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and now are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that they would pass from thence, hence you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come, that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou send him to my father's house. Uh, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest he also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have most of the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father, I am, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not most of the prophets, neither may be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So that word of prayer, as we look at one thing I want from hell. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for these teens. Lord, thank you for these adults that have even joined to show their support for these teenagers that are here. Lord, I pray that you speak to all of our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, sometimes it does take a stern reminder for us to remember our responsibility that you have given to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not ignore it, Lord, that we would not tune out. I pray that you give stamina to those, Lord, who are, who are lacking fatigue. And I pray that you give them strength and endurance, but a hedge of protection about this place. And may your Holy Spirit, Lord, be able to move very freely in everything that you want to be done during this service. I pray that it will be done. I do pray that you would just right now empty me of myself and fill thy spirit to say the things you would have me to say during these moments we have together. Lord, I don't take for granted this opportunity. I don't forget for granted for being here, Lord, at this youth route. And I pray, Lord, that you just use the words that are said. Lord, may it increase our burden, increase our passion, Lord, to be able to reach those that are around us. I pray as the cry has been that we would be 
wise. We would be wise. We would be wise about what we hear. For it's in Christ's name we certainly pray it all. Amen. You know, as you go through, this message does have a very long introduction because obviously it only has one point, but I want you to understand as we get the background of what's taking place. Now, this for clarification. I understand that many of you understand this, but the rich man not, did not go to hell because he was rich. He, he went to hell because of the fact that he did not accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior to save him from his sin. We understand that. He had to pay the penalty of his sin on his own, and that penalty for sin was in a place that is called hell. And so as that rich man, he died, it wasn't become his possession. But let's not be crazy. Sometimes possessions can be a distraction from Jesus Christ. Sometimes possessions can make us think that we don't need someone whom we really do need. And so this rich man, as he died, the Bible began to say that immediately and in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torment. You know, I would love, and this is going to make me sound like a heretic, but just, just follow me as I go through. I would love to find passion in the Bible that other people say that hell is not a place of torment, that hell is not a place of pain. You know, I would love to be able to find a, a verse that I can bend and I can stretch. But I'm telling you, I ain't found one. I have searched. I have tried. to be able to say, what if you interpret it this way? What if it came out this way? It always still comes out. The worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It is a place of pain and suffering. And I know that many times when we think about hell, usually the focus is upon the pain that is there. But something that I began to even just think about was not just the pain of being there. And even though that is something that is very obvious and, and very true, but do you know there's something as well that is incredible that a person to the mental psyche is so true is this is there something on this earth that we always have it's called hope hope no matter how bad things get you might have a bad horrible life everything can be falling apart but it could change but can you imagine that I know people and you know people that after they die there's no hope there's no it's going to get better there's no, it's going to change if, if I could just confess this sin. And I'm sure people down there right now are going through their childhood confessing every sin they've ever done. They've started, they've prayed, and they've prayed again. They tried it different ways. They did it with faith. They did it with so many different things. But I'm just saying the fact of the matter is, there's, there's, there's no hope. There's no hope. Yeah. I heard a story. I, I look for validity in different places when I read this story. But... About two girls that were in an accident and teenagers and they, one died and one was in a coma. They took the girl to the hospital that was in a coma and a couple of days later she died. As they died, the parents were alerted and they cried obviously and they began to transport her body to the burial. To the, well, as far as to the, 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 the morgue, whoever comes and takes over from there. Well, the guy who was prepping the body for burial, he noticed that the, the girl's finger flinched. It's very odd. It's not very odd, I guess, from what I understand. I have guys that are friends that are that work in that line of business. It's not terribly uncommon, but it was terribly uncommon the significance of the flinch. And so he thought it was so significant that he said, you need to take this girl back to the hospital. <laughs> they took the girl back to the hospital and came to find out she was actually still in a coma. And came to find out that she actually came out of that coma as well. Now, obviously, the parents had been on an emotional roller coaster, but what's even crazier is, is the girl, as she came back, she began to give testimony of the fact, undeniable, that she heard what was going on over her body. She heard the doctor say and pronounce her dead. She heard her parents crying over her. And she said, as I was there, you have no idea of the pain that I had as I was anything inside of me was screaming, I am not dead. I am not dead. I'm not dead. But 
mm, no one ever hurt me. Can you imagine? I'll see hell and eventually to the lake of fire. No more prayers heard. No more prayers heard. Sincere prayers. Prayers with faith. No more. I look at that and I see, wow, it was final. But then you keep on reading, okay? So, and in hell it I've been in corp torment and see Abraham afar off in Lazarus' bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Now, this isn't a thing that I want to take from hell, but I do notice something very interesting here in verse 24 that you don't see with a lot of other places. Usually in the Bible, when somebody is approached by an angelic being, usually the first thing the angel has to say is, fear not. <laughs> Because usually they're scared out of their wits because of the fact they saw they're seeing an angel. Now, when this rich man goes to hell, man, and he looks up and he sees Father Abraham for crying out loud. As he looks at Father Abraham and he begins to cry out, he doesn't come with his gracious little, oh, thou most holy father of Abraham, whom we all must serve and that we all must adore. No, he says, look, have mercy on me. You know what's so interesting is the boldness that person has, this guy has, you know. You know, sometimes I begin to look at this and, as this guy, he sees the desperation of where we are. And I begin to see many times that he spoke as if he had nothing to lose. What if I truly sat down with this man and I had a conversation with him and I, we sat there inside of a Tim Hortons or we sat down inside of a coffee shop and we're having a conversation. I'm sure he's not going to be wondering, I wonder if my voice is too loud. I wonder what people are going to think about me. I wonder what's going to happen if I... He knows what's at stake. And so he spoke, he has nothing to lose. Man, I just ask you a little bit of that. You know, you begin to look through and you continue to read of what's taking place. But you guys see the progression. And let me tell you, this is the one point. It's coming down in verse number 27. But follow the progression of what's taking place. Rich man goes to hell, eternal torment. He then cries out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Give me water. Father Abraham says, no. After he finds out there's nothing he can do. There's nothing that can change his situation. Verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wilt send him to my brother, my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them. Look, look. As soon as a rich man knows he's done, the next thing he says, I got five brothers. I got five brothers. You're telling me my five brothers are going to come here? Hey, I got a plan. He's the plan. He says, there's Lazarus right there, right? You put Lazarus back on that earth. You resurrect Lazarus. And you have Lazarus. Go tell my brothers so they don't have to come to this place of torment. Do you know what that man has? Do you know what people in hell have? You ready for this? The one thing that I want from hell? They have a burden for souls. My friend, people in hell want your family saved more than you want your family saved. Man, people in hell want this community saved more than you want this community saved. Because they understand that my friend wants dying without Christ or however you choose to term it. That's hell to pay. You know, some of the times, you know, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
I've asked myself the question, if I only had one wish from God, God, if I was like Solomon, and God claimed to Solomon and said, Solomon, I'll give you one request. I'll grant you one request. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And I don't hate on that. That's fine. But if I, if God gave me the same thing that he gave to Solomon, the same offer stood, you know, I would say, God, if you give me one thing, let me love people how you love people. You know what if I did that? Man, it would take a mess on hell for me to witness to my friend. It wouldn't take me twisting my arm before I say something to my coworker. It wouldn't take me a bunch of guilt trip, guilt trip, guilt trip, finally, before I step out and say something to somebody on my ball team. It would just say that I just love people. In First Corinthians 12, the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. And everybody turns around and, and fills out little spiritual gifts of where they're good at it and where they excel and where they fit in the body of Christ. And my friend, there's nothing wrong with that. Man, find out where God can place you and be used in the body of Christ, but don't miss the point. First Corinthians 12, and then First Corinthians 13 falls. And he says, look, you can have, you can understand all mysteries. You can have all knowledge. But if you don't have charity, it is pointless. If you don't love people, what's the point? Oh, so you're super fast at finding a Bible joke. Great, but do you love people? Oh, I can tell you the books of the Bible back and forth. Great, but do you love people? Has it come to the point that my Christianity so changes my life and that I look at people and I just don't judge them for the way they look or, or what they do wear or don't wear or the people that they do hang out with and I see them as people whom Christ has died for. They're not objects. They are people who have souls and will spend eternity forever somewhere. You know, I, it's so easy to generalize. You know, before I... As I was beginning in evangelism, one of the ministries I worked with was the Rock of Ages Prison Ministry. I preached in prisons and I preached in detention centers, youth detention centers every week. Part of the training before you can enter into a prison facility, at least in the United States, you have to go through a lot of training. And part of the training is this, is what to do in case you are taken hostage. It's happened that the people who come to preach, the prisoners take them hostage and make demands upon the prison. And so we had to take a training course of what must do during a time like that. And I remember I sat in the training class and I was listening to it. They said, whenever you have somebody who takes you captive, whatever they have, a shank to your throat or whatever it be, you comply with every command they make. You don't try to be hero. During the first couple seconds, in the first couple minutes, the person is most volatile and makes very foolish decisions. Time is on your side, so therefore, just keep them at bay. Do not try anything foolish. But one thing, if at all you can avoid is this. Don't resist, but avoid. Don't let them cover your face. Don't let them cover your face. People can do the cruelest of things if they don't have to look you in the eye. You know what's happened many times? The Christian community has taken a, a hood and put it over the world. It's not my job. I don't want to feel guilty. <laughs> so you, you tell me you worked at job for how long now? You worked at job for how long? You, 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 you're saying that I have been on that same team with that kid for how long? For three years. For three years. We have played ball together. For three years. We have practiced together. You're telling me that in three years? Never. Never once. Hey, can you call me the church? I'm not hating this. I'm not saying this because the adults are sitting back in the back, but sometimes a person will come to me after the end of a service 
they'll be like, Brother Raven, I've been here longer. I'm 32. This I've been here 35 years. I've been here longer than you've been alive. And, and I said, that's great because I had nothing but respect for longevity within the ministry, right? And they'd be telling me different things. And, and then I pose this question to them sometimes, adults, as they're inside of a church. And it sounds cruel, but just, just follow me for just a moment. You know, I said on Sunday morning, you look around your church. Look around your church on Sunday morning. Is there anybody whom you have had at least a part of seeing them say? Hold, hold, hold. You, you, you tell me in 30 years, in 30 years, I'm not saying every person came to know Christ. I'm not saying it's no spiritual. It's just that you ain't got the time. I'm saying, but in 30 years, nobody, nobody that my life has so touched that that person who was on the way to hell is not longer any, anymore. Oh, oh, you know, we get so distracted. Because we almost have this tune to ignore. You know, I, there was in the world, world War II, I enjoy history, but during World War II, there's a lady by the name of Penny Lee. And what would happen is during the time of the Holocaust and all the atrocities that were happening in that time, they were singing in their church, and their church was right beside a railroad track. And what would happen is that railroad track occasionally would, would start going in during the service, and so it got kind of loud. And so usually, you know, they had learned to tune it out because they had heard that railroad track so long. But then they began to notice that during the service that they heard voices on side, inside of those railroad tracks. Those track car, those uh, railroad track cars. And so they began to hear voices. And then they began to be able to distinguish that those were voices. Those were Jews. They were screaming for help. And you heard carts and carts of people screaming that somebody would help them. It didn't just happen once. It happened often at that church. So Penny Lee said that it bothered them so much at their church that what they did is that as soon as they heard the train behind the church begin, they, the song leader, would stop, and they would stop everything. The song leader would get up and he would say, turn to him such and such, and they would begin to sing. And as they began to sing, it would drown out the screams of the people around behind them. And every time Penny Lee said that there was one time that as they were singing, that the voices from the train were so loud that the people in the church were literally screaming the hymn. To the point that they did not have to hear it. And every time he would just say, sing a little louder. Just sing a little louder. Just sing a little louder. What has happened now in some of our churches? We hear a message like hell. And what do we do? Sing a little louder. I'll just put some music inside of our ears and just tune out that which we have just heard just moments ago. Oh, let me go back to my job and get back to doing my thing. Back inside of my barn. I can forget about all that. Sing a little louder. To ignore it hasn't changed a thing. People are still dying. And they're going to hell. I don't want to think about it. But if we don't, who will? Yeah. I look at this passage and as I, as I get ready to close, you know, people ask me this question. And, I mean, I, I like the song. I enjoyed the song service and stuff that we had here together. But I, as I was doing, listening to the song service and stuff, somebody's, ever, somebody's asked me, Adrian, are you looking forward to Christ coming back? 
Are you looking forward to Christ coming back, Adrian? I know that I am to look for Christ's return. And I am. Some people say, as soon as I say you're not ready to see Christ, that means you must not be right with God. I understand that many times for some people, they don't want to meet Christ because their life is not where it should be. But you know, I know just as well as you do, that if Christ came back tonight, <laughs> there'd be some people that I know you know that ain't going to heaven. That's tough. That's tough. You know, teenager, adult inside this room, <laughs> I don't want to leave us hanging. Just blood. Everybody feel bad. Sage, what's the solution? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do this. Ask God for one person to put on your heart. One person. Who you will pray for every day till they are saved. You don't have a prayer lifetime to get one. Somebody that you will beg God that they will be saved. I have watched, and I was preaching in Alabama and other places, I watched grown men, grown men cry because their favorite team lost. Man, fine. Be a passionate sports player. Be a passionate fan. But you know what's so sad? They ain't never shed a tear for someone to be saved. They ain't never got broken. You know, I go to churches and listen, at the, during the Wednesday night, Nothing wrong with this, but God says pray for the sick. That's what the Bible commands us to do. You pray for the sick. Pray for so-and-so. Pray for so-and-so. When's the last time a teenager or a stands up inside the room? You pray for my dad. He's not saved. You pray for my co-worker. She's not saved. My heart breaks. Not because I lost some money. Not just because that deal went sour. I am broken because somebody whom I care about will not be in heaven with me. And I am going to beg God every day and do everything within my power to see that person come to Christ. Can you do that? Can you ask God for somebody Place on your heart.